Hey there, Joanne Grobola here. Welcome to another episode of the Five All In podcast. Today, I have a really important guest. Her name is Ande from My Worth. Welcome to the podcast, Ande. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my, my honor and pleasure to be a part. Well, one of my fave topics to jam on is money and how we as women handle it. So you are the girl to have this conversation. <laughs> it's all about that, that money, that raining money, right? Absolutely. I believe and live by being absolutely vital and important that women have independent wealth regardless of relationship status. It's something that I, you know, really beat the drum of. What are the key things you believe women need to focus on when it comes to money and wealth? You know, I think the first thing, um, Joanne, and for your listeners is to make sure that you have the right mindset around money. So many people jump right into tactics before they take a few minutes to think about, you know, what is really important to them? What are their values and what are their goals related to their values? And then after you do that, then you can really start to think about the actions and the tactics to, to implement. So first, I think it's really a great idea to get clear about your mindset about money and even consider what influences you've had growing up and from friends and family and even where you've lived in your environment that might have given you a perspective about money that may be somewhat clouding your vision. And so that's certainly one of the, the key things to do in the very beginning. And then you can start looking at what do you value? What's really important to you? And do your goals align with that? Because if your goals don't align with your values, the actions you take um, will typically not be long lasting. Oh, money stories. I love talking about people and money stories. Now, I have my own money story, as I'm sure that you do. What is the one common, maybe there may be a few, but what is maybe a common money story or belief that you see hold women back when it comes to creating abundance and wealth? You know, I think a lot of women, we grew up, at least I did in my generation, I'm Generation X. And I think that a lot of us were brought up with the understanding that the men in our lives would be making a lot of the financial decisions for us, um, or that we would be making maybe the bill paying decisions in the family unit, but that the husband would be primarily taking care of some of the long-term planning. And, you know, in today's age, it really doesn't work. There's been such a unique um, differences in the way families are formulated. A lot of people are choosing to be independent and single. Um, they're creating different family dynamics. And so it presents us with a unique problem. So I think a lot of women's story is, I, I don't know where to get started. I don't know what to do. How do I even begin? And I don't want to make a bad decision. And so that's typically what I hear a lot. They're confident in every other area of their life. But when it comes to kind of making money and thinking about their own personal wealth, there's a block there um, around them feeling like they can do it. Yeah. Interestingly, you talked about making money as well. And there being, you know, this, this sometimes block, you know, we, there's a lot, there's been a lot in the press lately of how, um, you know, there's this difference in uh, the, the salaries that men are paid compared to women and maybe in absolutely the same jobs, same careers. Um, why, do, why do you think women in the past, because I know it's getting better, why do you think women in the past have found it hard to ask for what they're worth? 
You know, it's so interesting. A lot of the women that I talk to feel like that when they do good work, that they should be recognized for that work and that someone will see them doing it and then say, here, let me give you this opportunity or here, let me give you this raise or they'll acknowledge the work and they won't have to be self-promoting. I also think it goes back to a feeling of how do we self-promote without feeling like we're bragging and being, you know, a little over, you know, talking about ourselves too much. And that goes back to some of the society kind of letting women think that they shouldn't be braggadocious in terms of talking about their accomplishments. I read a study not long ago that said that a man will apply for a job even if he's 60% qualified, where a woman will feel like she has to be 100% qualified in order to apply for a job. And so a lot of that comes from us expecting to be acknowledged for our value and feeling uncomfortable with maybe speaking up and talking about what we're good at and why we should earn more money and why we deserve to have different opportunities and, and certainly a pay increase. Oh, I read that report as well, and I found it really interesting. Um, and and I think it's important as women as well that we are prepared to walk away when we're not going to get salary parity. For sure. And what I find a lot of women um, need to keep in mind is you want to be prepared to walk away. Like if you go and you know that maybe one of the options from that conversation might be that you have to walk away, that you need to be able to have a plan to do that. So if you don't have a plan in action and you don't know how you're going to walk away, then you want to be thinking about that ahead of time. But if you don't speak up for yourself, it's going to be very hard for someone else to see that you have the confidence to really excel and move to that next level. I think the leaders that I've had the privilege to work with have enjoyed when I come in and I give my opinion, but I also respect my position and I'm confident and I feel strong. And that speaks volumes in terms of being able to lead and take ownership of bigger positions. Whereas if you go in and you're just asking what you should be doing and you're always yesing the people you work for, then that's not seen as someone that can typically take on those bigger types of roles and opportunities. How has that paid off you having that really empowered, self-confident purpose? How has that paid off in your career, Rondé? I've had a really unique opportunity to either start a position that wasn't already in existence, kind of create my own role, or to launch different companies. I mean, even my worth was launched from an idea that I had with, um, with my boss at the time about what wanting to make a difference for women. How do we do that? And how do we do this in a way that is different than what has been done in the past? And it's from that brainstorming and that conversation that my worth was launched. And so I think having the confidence really speaks to letting the people around you know that you may not have it figured out, but they feel like you will do that, that you have the gumption, the spunk that you need to forge ahead and get things done. And that that actually means a lot more sometimes than even skill, because you can always hire good skill to work with you. Oh, I always say if you're the smartest person in the room, you're completely in the wrong room. Right, exactly. Yeah, you exactly. always want to be surrounding yourself with people who are way smarter than you, because <laughs> as a team, you're going to get the job done really well. Right, right. And I have such a great team. And I think that without them, um, I wouldn't be able to have the opportunities that I do. And so I really believe that building and fortifying that team is critical to being a great leader. Yeah, you are an incredible leader on day. 
I've seen you in action. <laughs> seeing you moving around when I, you know we were at a, an event together recently, and I just saw you moving your troops from afar, and you were just incredible at it. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I love being able to be with people and um, really connect with people. It's one of my most favorite things to do. So tell me about my worth. Tell me what my worth's main function and purpose is in the space that you're working in. Well, my worth is a media-driven community that's inspiring women to take control of their money by looking at the emotional, behavioral, and societal barriers that really get in the way of them being able to create strong financial foundations. So we're a media company. We um, have a lot of available information online. We've going to be launching a new series late this summer called Self Rising, where we're talking with other women about their own journeys and what they're doing in their own um, small communities. And we just really want to share not only about financial advice, but about the totality of what women go through, whether it be leadership or career choices, our family dynamics, or even self-care. We know that money is a part of a bigger conversation and that we need to address the woman in, in a holistic manner um, in order for her to be able to feel really good about making the financial decisions that can transform her journey. Because mm. you've hit on something so vital and important there. If if we don't get the financial pillar right in our lives, it, sh- it can affect every single area, your career, your home life, your kids, how you think, feel, behave. It's such a vital piece of the puzzle that is one of the things that I see neglected time and time again. Yeah, we do. We typically like to take care of everyone else but ourselves. And, you know, I think that one of the things I'm finding is that your net worth should not be affecting your self-worth. It's actually the opposite. Your self-worth can really affect your net worth and how you really feel about um, your the money that you're earning, the money that you want to earn, the money that you're saving and investing. And so as women feel more empowered and they feel more confident, then we can start to bridge the gap between that confidence and them being able to make the financial decisions. Here's the crazy thing. We make five or six financial decisions a day. We don't even really know that we're doing that. I mean, whether it's buying the latte or drinking coffee at home, whether it's going to the, you know, the bank down the street or going to our bank across town, or whether it's deciding to save and invest money or to go on that vacation to Maui, we're making decisions all the time. Money's really interwoven throughout all areas of our lives. And so when we try to separate it out as a separate conversation, that's when we can really, um, it can be very tricky. And so what we do at My Worth is we say, we get it. It's a part of everything and we want to treat it as such. So when you're in a crisis, that may not be the most ideal time to think about learning about money. Learning about money before you get into a crisis is certainly preferable. Talking about learning about money, how? what are your thoughts on about the younger generation today and their skill set around money? And what do you think needs to be done to improve that? You know, one of my biggest um, bucket list items is to to really see that financial education will be taught in every school and and 
in the United States and in the UK as well. I think it's so important to start young because what happens is kids aren't taught this. Um, and there's so many taboo conversations around money that even though parents know they need to be talking with it, it's still an uncomfortable conversation for many people. So kids are graduating out of, um, you know, secondary and, and college and university, and they're not able to understand how to deal with the job offers they're getting. What does it really mean? How do they spend their money? And retirement is so far off for them. So many of them think, I don't need to start saving today, but the failure to create those financial habits early can have really um, drastic effects later on. Yeah. It, and financial education, it's, it's just a massive gap in the educational pace. Absolutely. But you know, one of the things that parents can really do when they're thinking about their children and money is we all think of that piggy bank and, and teaching kids to start to save money in that manner. But what's more important for children to see is your behavior around money and to be able to make sure that your language around money is empowering to your child. So if you're constantly complaining about not having money or I have to do this or I have to do that or feeling very negative around money, those, that languaging can be really imprinted on your children and can start to develop a very negative money belief for themselves. So a lot of times parents don't think about their own behavior and, and what it's really teaching their youngsters about money. And that's a really great place to start to become acutely aware of how you're speaking and how you're spending and what actions are you exhibiting to your children. Oh, money language, that is, you know, reframing that whole piece and really reflecting on that and looking at how you, you know, speak about money. I, you know, I get the, my women's community to really think about that. Yeah, for sure. We talk about politics and sex more than money, Joanne. Isn't that crazy? It's insanity. It's insanity. And coming back to creating good money habits and bringing, I call it immersion therapy. I was touching on, on it with one of the other guests earlier today on day. And, and one of the things I say is like, you have to look at your numbers every day. Numbers have to form a vital part of our businesses, mm. our lives, and you have to look at them. If you don't want to look at them, I want you to look at them every day. I want Absolutely. you to have that experience. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that um, one of the things that has probably been the best thing for me when I'm thinking about eating better and eating more clean is to keep a food journal. And I recommend that it's a great idea to keep kind of a money journal. Just yes. jot down everything that you spend throughout the day. You don't have to do it, you know, uh, 365 days a year, you know, you don't have to do it every day, but for a week or two, really jot down, whether it's a, you know, a little bit of money and um, buying lunch or, or a big purchase, but jot it down and really get present to how many financial decisions you truly are making every day. What does that really look like? And just that awareness can have a really drastic effect in your ability to be able to choose more powerfully what direction you want to go in. I, I'm all in on that, Andy. Let me share a little story with you. Um, when I set up my business 11 and a half years ago, things had to change financially because I was determined that I was going to do what I'm doing today. So, you know, the big salary with all the fancy add-ons had to go when I was starting afresh. And I bought these little tiny notebooks and every day for, a, I've still got them somewhere. Every day I wrote down everything that I'd spent and everything that I'd earned. And boy, did that transform my relationship with how I manage my money. Uh, absolutely. It's like when I started keeping track of what I was eating, it's all the little bitty things that you yeah. don't really think add up. It's, you know, the little streaming services that we subscribe to. It's the, you know, it is the coffee. It is all those things start to add up. And not that I want you to ever give up your lattes because 
goodness knows we all need coffee in the morning. But I think it's important just to recognize that even little things can make an impact. And when you're freely doing that over time, and then you're wondering why you don't have money to do some of the bigger things that are really important to you, like plan, then you can start to just become more aware of your choices. And it's really becoming aware of your choices that keeping a money journal will allow you to do. Yeah, I would highly, I did it for about three years and I still, how we, I mean, I make um, my team absolutely fall around with laughter of how I account things in my business. I have a spreadsheet that I started from the very first day I started my business. I still track on that spreadsheet today. And we have, we have QuickBooks, we have, you know, and it does all that. But for me to keep and maintain a really clear and honest relationship with my numbers, I still fill in that spreadsheet every single week. You know what I like about that, Joanne, is there's so many apps out there that you can use to track your money and they're great. But I like the fact that you're writing it down or that you're physically putting it in there. I think there's something about that that clicks with your mind that's different than if you just open an app and see what you've spent. Well, we're disconnected, aren't we? By actually physically, you know, we're teaching the neurons in our brain to take ownership of what we're doing. Whereas when we just use apps, we're literally, there's no connection. It's this is what it is. And that's the output. But there's no, there's no story in the minute, in the middle bit. There's no process. So it's so easy to disconnect from it. And I talk about the cycle of innovation and performance and change on day. And, you know, I see people track, you know, for for two weeks and then they fall off, you know, using an app and then they fall off the wagon. Whereas actually what we do is we need to change these neurological connections, these stories that we were handed down from children. And one of the things that I want to say on that, you know, we all got handed a money story and nobody did anything right or wrong or good or bad. They just did the best they could with the tools that had been handed to them. Um, but we need to step into our own power now and change whatever's not working for us. Yes, because no one's going to do it for us. We're, we have to be our own best advocate for sure. For sh- Absolutely. So one of the things I want to ask you about is by predominantly focusing on women, what do you think that signifies to the financial industry today? Well, I think that, you know, when I talk to women, it isn't that they want to be spoken to like, you know, with, I'm just a woman, I need, think I need special attention. But there's some unique challenges that women do face that right now a lot of men don't. For example, what I'm finding is for many women that are, that are my age, I'm in my late 40s, they're starting to have to deal with um, older parents who are starting to need care. And while there may be um, my brother, you know, I may have a male sibling that's willing to help as well, a lot of the physical care taking typically does fall on the female of the family because they're more nurturing and they know what mom and dad might need. And so that can really impact my ability to stay consistent with my work environment. And so there's all these unique challenges that come up for women that I think the financial industry hasn't always addressed properly, not to mention the fact that a lot of the materials and collateral and the way that things are spoken about money are not spoken in a way that many women can relate to. So what I'm hearing from women is it's too much jargon. It's too much information overload. I just need somebody to tell me exactly what I need to do and to guide me and to be a partner with me, not to feel like they have to talk down to me. And so that's one of the things that we want to make sure that we don't do at MyWorth is that we are walking side by side with you, sharing our expertise, but also um, really letting you know that we've got your back. We've, we're partnering with you at every step along the way. 
Yeah, you, I mean, you've just hit on something that I've got very deep personal experience of being the one that's the caregiver um, for aging parents. And that definitely had an impact on my financial outlook for a period of time. And yeah. there is there is no there is no information about that. You know, we have to literally go and find that. And it's a story, it's a story that I hear time and time and time again. And it's not just about paying for the care for your mom and dad. It's like the, the time that you're taking away from your work, your family, your friends, your life mm-hmm. that you have to do. And you want to do that for sure. But there's an, um, you know, an emotional impact to that. And there can be a rippling financial impact to that as well. Um, a productivity impact to that. And so I think that those are the kinds of things we want to dive into is not just about the financial payment of taking care of mom and dad, but also the rippling effects that can have effects financially that are very much unseen. People aren't talking about them and they they may not be immediately connected to a situation, but they certainly um, really do influence a woman's ability to feel good about her money. Yeah, I mean, I'm for me, the impact of that, like, while we're, while we're at this this signpost, um, I took full responsibility for my care, parents' care for a really significant period of time. So my, what would technically be days off or holiday time was spent juggling hospital appointment after hospital appointment and having to, you know, so whilst, and then I'd be in the hospital, you know, catching up on emails. And I, you know, so holiday time for a very long, very significant period with that was where I was I was in hospitals doing appointments I didn't actually have a week's holiday in 10 years till last year on day and, and you know think about that too you're juggling all of this you're you know want you've got a business to run yeah. and you're having you certainly want to take care of your uh for your loved ones and then juggling that in the psychological and the emotional and the physical aspect of that. So then there's a rippling effect. The productivity goes down. You didn't take a vacation to take a holiday for, for a while. And so that self-care starts to wane. And so then you're not as able to maybe think clearly. And then all of a sudden a financial decision comes about that you have to make and, and you're exhausted, right? You're just a whirlwind of, you know, kind of chaotic, things happening. And so it's sometimes hard to make a really thoughtful, logical decision when you're in the midst of all of that. Absolutely on the money. So let's talk about something that's a really hot topic and something that I really put on the agenda with a lot of the people that I work with, whether they're men or women. Saving for retirement. As women, how do you recommend we tackle this, especially if you're in your late 30s, 40s, or even 50s? Well, I think the first thing is don't assume that somebody else is doing it for you and and ask questions. If you're in a relationship, having that transparency and openness about what's going on is really critically important. I see a lot of um, really smart, successful women that have passed the buck on that a little bit to their partner uh, or their spouse, and they end up finding out later that what they thought they had was not what they had. So I think taking ownership and just at least being fully aware of what's going on if you're in a relationship. And if you're not in a relationship, then a lot of this will fall solely on you. And if you have waited until you're in your late 30s and early 40s, and sometimes life throws a curveball at us where we're starting over at that point for whatever reason, then, you know, making a habit of saving each and every month, I I recommend you pay yourself first, and then you learn to live on the rest. Um, If you can get to where you're saving 
15% of your income. That's super ideal. I know that's extremely hard for a lot of people. So remember progress, not perfection. You know, little baby steps are fine, but the more that you can save and the earlier you can save, the better off you'll be down the road because women tend to live longer than men as well. So our longevity is something we have to consider. So we may be retired for you know, 30, 35 years, if we retire at the typical age of 65. And so, you know, for many people, they never think we're, we're retired almost as many years as we've been working possibly. Yeah. And so that's really important to be thinking about. And I love when women are really taking ownership of providing protection for themselves, making sure that they have great health care and that they've got that taken care of so that if they have some issues around needing care, that they can get what they need and it still be able to have money um, to do whatever else they want to do with it, whether it be to give to friends and family or to give to a charity or an organization they feel passionately about. And so check making sure that you have great health care, long-term care, insurance products, in addition to saving and investing is, is something to keep in mind. I feel like we're really aligned today because I was going to ask you about financial products and you've just smashed it. You know, and I think as well, we, you know, I, uh, sometimes we just don't think about that. We don't think about healthcare. We don't think about making sure that we're covering off our salary if we can no longer work, but it's so important that we do look into those products. Yeah, for sure. And ask questions. You know, you're your, like I said, you're your own best advocate. And whether you're meeting with somebody and talking about money or whether it's a, you know, a part business partner or a family member, you know, you have the right to ask questions. And if you don't understand something or something doesn't feel right, trust your gut and ask more questions. Um, I think for so many women, they maybe don't know what questions to ask and they don't ask any questions, but it's okay to say, explain that to me. I'm, I'm not really you know, clear on that. Describe that to me again and keep going because um, you deserve to be able to have clarity around your decisions. Yeah. And one of the things that I always uh, was talking to one of my friends about is that if you keep doing your financial reviews and you see something that you don't like, challenge it and don't be afraid of changing providers. If you can get a really great deal elsewhere, just because you're getting an okay deal and it seems like too much of a faff to change, change it. Right, right. It's such a great way to learn how to negotiate and kind of to practice some of of those skills as well. And, you know, I know you work with a lot of women that are launching their own businesses or have their own businesses. And I would tell you that one of the things I see a lot with business owners is they focus a lot on the business finances, but they don't take care of their personal finances. So it's got to be equal on both sides of that for sure. One of the, um, you may or may not be aware of this, but one of the formulas that I do love to introduce to the community is the Profit First model by Mike Michalowicz, where he gets you to pay yourself first, make sure you take some profit out of your business, have a fixed operating cost in your business. And like I say, it's not about progress, not perfection, and moving yourself to that model. And the more I've introduced that concept to people, they're like, ah, now I see how I should have been running my business and focusing on making sure I get paid. Yeah, for sure. A lot of business owners put the money right back into the business, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. You want to grow your business, yet they aren't taking care of themselves personally. And I think it's really important in the beginning when you're launching a business to think about the end game a little bit. What is your really end game here? Is it that you want to sell the business? You want to pass it on to someone else? Or do you want to just close the business down? And that can also help you to decide what personal choices you might make with some of your money. But regardless, you want to be able to maybe 
uh, slow down at some point. And we, most business owners never like to think of themselves as retiring. But in the event that you want to slow down or you do want to retire, you're going to have to have a nest egg um, to be able to live off of or else you might have to be forced to sell the business, which might not be something that you're you're super excited about doing, especially if you enjoy working in it on some level. So I think taking some time to think about that in game, think about what your personal goal, goals are. And I love that idea of paying yourself a profit because so many business owners fail to do that, especially in the early years. Yeah. So one of the questions that I want to ask you is who has been the most influential in you when it comes to shaping your money story on day? Well, probably my, um, my parents, for sure. You know, my dad um, was a Southern Baptist minister, if you can believe it, Joanne, for <laughs> pretty much my entire childhood. He, he left the ministry full time when I was a senior in high school, and he launched, uh, you know, his own personal practice and financial, um, giving it financial advice, being a financial advisor. And he did that because throughout his work as a minister, he frequently found himself working with couples and working with individuals who were really struggling financially. And so he felt like it was a real way for him to continue to be a minister and to minister to those people, um, but help them in an area that so desperately many people needed help with. And so just watching how he was with our own family's finances, as well as guiding the people that he was um, that were in his congregation and then launching his own business certainly had an impact. And, you know, my mother is super frugal all her life. She's been super frugal. So watching how she really is intentional about the money that she spends certainly also had a really a big influence on me. Wow. Um, have you had to make any changes to your own money story on day? Absolutely. I went through a divorce, um, my late thirties, mid thirties. And so for, in many cases, um, you know, there was a lot of rebooting that I had to do and a lot of making up and a lot of choices and change and change in lifestyle and adjusting to all of that. And I think that makes a really big difference. And so the, the goal here is, is that you, or the message isn't that it's too late. You know, it, it, tomorrow is too late. If you know, today you should be doing something. So even a baby step today, taking some time to think about your values could be your first step or taking some time to get organized and gather your financial documents. Anything that you do is a step in the right direction and can make a difference. And you could be better tomorrow than you were today. I, I like to tell the people that I um, work with that it's about getting 1% better each and every day. Oh, and I so, love that. I was going to ask you about that. And stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Compare yourself to yourself. You know, you, are you doing 1% better than you were yesterday? And so when it comes to money, it's about, you know, certainly if you want to make that grand leap, go right ahead. But even if you, if that feels daunting and um, a little scary, then make 1% change each and every day. And eventually you'll start to get into the habit. It's about developing really good habits and not making big grandiose decisions. Oh, I love that. I'm, I talk a lot about habit stacking and, you know, stacking those habits together and being mindful and so that you can create these great neurological connections that help you make baby steps forward. And, you know, there's some people that want to go at this breakneck speed, but often there's people I see, you know, crash and burn and, you know, taking things one step of a day, one step at a day and just little pieces of progress, you'll quite often, those are the people that I see, you know, smash getting over that imaginary line and then continue to keep moving forward as well right right for sure I think that it's so much easier to stay persistent and consistent over time with those 
with habit stacking and creating small wins each and every day. So I want you to really sing it out. How do you inspire others on day? I think that I inspire others by being okay with being vulnerable about the times that I've failed and what I've learned from that. And I think that's so important for us to be able to be open and sharing and say, you know, I've had made mistakes and here's what I learned from them. I think it gives a lot of women um, the freedom to not feel like they have to be perfect all of the time. And so I hope that I inspire others by letting them know that, you know, there is no such thing as perfect um, and that we're all doing the very best that we can. And we should be really supporting and recognizing in each other that not being perfect is really actually profoundly perfect, right? Yeah, I want perfect removed from the dictionary because I just don't think <laughs> it exists. It, it, it's something, you know, that people are striving for and it's just, just doesn't it's, exist. It's exhausting too, yeah. trying to keep up with everybody. I, you know, I think it's okay to do what's right for you. And, and going back to that 1% better each and every day is stop comparing yourself to other people. There's always going to be somebody out there that's got, you know, uh, more money or more things or, you know, have be different looking than you or, or maybe has the, a different job, but there's always going to be that out there and you'll never feel satisfied. But if you focus on what can I do each and every day to feel better about myself and to, to be able to grow and expand that way, then you'll start to experience that in a win versus always feeling deflated by comparison to be that perfect ideal that we all have out there. Great insight, Andy. So going forward, what's the future hold for Andy and my worth? Well, I'm going to be launching a book later this year around the 12 conversations that women should really be having with themselves around money. And it's really diving in. It's not a how-to book. It's really diving into how did our relationships with money get formed? Um, what are the stories that we're telling ourselves? And how can we really get past those so that we can create the financial future that we all so want and desire. So that's coming out later this year. My Worth is um, launching our self-rising series later on this summer. If you can want to check us out, myworthfinance.com. And I'm going to be speaking. And then I hope to see you early fall back in the United States, Joanne. I am. I will be there with bells on. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Andre, where can everybody find you online? Where should they um, go and look? Well, they can find me at ondiefraser.com, but I would love for everybody to go and check out myworthfinance.com. And you can join our Facebook group. You can subscribe to our newsletter and hear about all the great things that we're doing. And just look around and see if any of what we have on there really speaks to you. There's so much available there that can speak to different areas of your life. We would just love to have you be a part of the community and really be a part of other like-minded women that all want to really achieve financial success and be able to own their relationship to money. Yeah, that financial freedom It's and, and having great mindset around money is where it's all heading. Yes. Andre, thank you so much for being just a beacon of light around money and money stories and mindset and doing the work that you do. And thank you for being a guest today on my podcast. It's such a privilege to have you on here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.